0: Hey, Jeremy, last year on Anniversary Sunday, we rolled out our 25-year vision, and we just reaffirmed our commitment to, in our desire to plant churches. Every offering that we've ever taken at our church, a portion of it has gone to church planning, but we knew heading into this year that it was time to find church planners that we believed in and breathe life into the churches that they were planning. Today, you're going to meet one of those church planners. It's our prayer that God will call kids out of our student ministry, that God will call people out of the seminaries of our city to Journey so that they can go plant churches on behalf of Journey, maybe campuses of Journey. But until that is fully realized, we want to find church planners anywhere in the country who are planting churches like our church with the mission of our church and say, let us help you. It's why we are a part of Um, Pouring into Pastor Darvin Wallace uh, in Mission Lakewood in Lakewood, Colorado, in the suburbs of Denver. It is why uh, our church supports Restore Community Church in West Shawnee and Pastor Dan Sutherland, who's been here several times. And it's why our church is supporting Pastor Chris Renfro in Hope Church, John Creeks, Georgia, which is in North Atlanta. Today, you're going to get to hear from Chris. The first time I met Chris, he was a freshman in high school. Uh, He came walking into the back of our student ministry. He had a haircut like Patrick Mahomes, except the sides weren't shaved. He just had this fuzzy, curly hair, a smile on his face, and he was one of the most driven students that I've ever had as a part of my student ministry. He actually hung out with us almost every day of his high school career. He graduated high school early. He graduated Bible college early. He graduated seminary at a really young age. He became a youth pastor, ministering to middle schoolers, then senior high students. Then he became an executive teaching pastor at the church he was at, and most recently, he's decided to plant a brand new church this fall in Atlanta, Georgia, we are 100% behind Chris. Uh, he's a great friend of mine, one of my former students. I love and support him with all of my heart, and I'm so excited for you to hear from him today in week two of our series on Hezekiah, not just learning about Hezekiah and how to walk with God, but hearing from Chris how Hezekiah's story has deeply impacted him and the new church that he is building. So Chris, thank you so much for being with us today. We're so excited about your church. We are all in with you with whatever you need. We're excited for you to minister to us today, Journey, at all of our campuses. Would you put your hands together and welcome Pastor Chris Renfro to minister to us today?
1: Good morning, Journey. As Christian said, my name is Chris Renfro, and it's an honor and a privilege to be here with you this morning. coming from just north of Atlanta, Georgia. I've been serving as an executive pastor at Northside Church in Roswell. They're actually worshiping right now as well in Roswell, so I've been praying for them. And Hate to be away from some of my faith family and friends, but it's so glad to have the opportunity to come here to worship with you and uh, to be able to preach and stand here on this stage in place of um, my mentor, Christian Newsom. I just want you guys to know I love your pastor, I love your church, I love everything about what God is doing here, and it's just an honor for me to get to step in. So, a little bit about me: I'm married. I've been married for almost nine years to my wife, Catherine. Uh, she is the love of my life and a sweetheart. And I've got two little kiddos, that's Isaac and Ava. And uh, as you can see, they're, uh, they're a blessing, they're a joy, and they're a handful. So I'm uh, trying to, just trying to keep up in life. So um, as we enter into our time of teaching today, I just want to say welcome. I want to particularly say welcome to those of you who are in the video teaching service. Um, I wish that I could be able to preach to all of you live, at the same time, but Christian has told me that you are expanding, you're building, that you're growing, and so I'm hoping that eventually I'll be able to come here again soon and get to meet each and every person uh, as, I, as I preach, and I uh, know that the Lord's doing a great thing here as Journey Church is expanding. So you've been through a series on the life of Hezekiah, who started last week, and one of the things that you were talking about last week is, what is your spiritual epitaph? We're going to continue that series this morning. If you have your Bible, I want you to open it up to 2 Chronicles chapter 29. So last week we were talking about how Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, really with no reservations. And this week we're going to talk about how Hezekiah gathered the people of God to worship God. One of the things I hope that you learn and know about me... Over the course of years, you support Hope Church and what we're doing as we're planting a church uh, is that I, I love the church. Like, I love this, this place. I love followers of Christ gathering together and worshiping God and inviting others into that. And that really started for me, as Christian mentioned on the video, as I was going into my ninth grade year of high school. My parents, uh, going into ninth grade year, they took our summer, my brother and sister and I, and they said, we're going to do something as a family. We're going to do ministry as a family together for this summer. And so they took us all on a mission trip. Our whole family, we spent three months on a mission trip. My parents were pretty hard on us. They took us to Hawaii. So... Um, And I'm not kidding, but we actually went to Hawaii. We actually spent three months there. We actually served a small little church on this small island called Molokai. uh, And it was very, very impactful for us. And there on that trip, uh, my parents were working with a youth camp, much like the one that you guys uh, take your students on. That's where I felt like God was calling me to serve in ministry, to give my whole life to ministry. But while we were on that trip, my parents, they kind of felt convicted that they wanted to leverage these last few years that my brother and myself and my sister that we had in our student ministry days that they wanted to to try to maximize those and to get us into a student ministry that was healthy and growing and that we could be around other Christian teenagers and so coming into that we went um, to a church that had a large student ministry that they had heard about and it was there the first Sunday morning that I walked in as Christian said with regrettably like an afro like a lot of a lot of really curly hair uh that was that was something so uh went in I, I met Christian and he over the course of four years just became um the greatest mentor in my life and he has maintained that for the past 10 years that I've now been serving as a pastor in different ministry capacities but I just want to tell you and I want you to hear me say this that those those days and that time and that Commitment that my parents made to have us plugged into a church that was going to challenge us spiritually changed my life. One of the most prized possessions that I have are these two notebooks. There were so many that I couldn't get them in one, but I've got all of my sermon notes that Christian preached in Old Testament and New Testament from those four years of my student ministry days that I, I. took notes as i was in student ministry and i put them in journals and then put them in these binders and to this day they sit right next to my desk and i will go back through and just remember some of the things and look back on what christian did as he preached and how those things still challenge me to this day but i just want you to hear me say i love the church i love the church that i'm serving at i love the church that i'm going to be planting and i love your church because I think it's what God has designed for us As followers of Christ To grow and to walk with him And that's what we're going to see today As we get into 2 Chronicles Chapter 29 Here's what we're going to learn That Hezekiah made engaging God's people In worship A key priority Of his leadership And the, and the real Thought that I want us all to leave With is this That engaging in worship with others is vitally important to my spiritual life. The question is how can I start to make worship with others a priority and we're going to see that from the life of Hezekiah here in 2nd Chronicles 29. We're going to be in verses 1 through 3 to start, which is this. It starts with deciding to make worship a priority today. Verses 1 through 3, it says, Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. In the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. So we see here that Hezekiah, first and foremost, decided to do what was right. Hezekiah had changed the spiritual legacy of his family tree He didn't have a mom or a dad taking him to youth group He didn't have a dad taking him to church or taking him to temple. His dad hated the church His dad hated the temple. He shut the temple up. He closed the doors He said we're not worshiping and no one else is worshiping Ahaz as you learned last week was one of the worst kings in the history of israel He had no desire for the lord or the things of the lord and we know that he was not the one who taught that to hezekiah but what we also know is that the work that god does through us begins with the work that he does in us and hezekiah realized and learned that the work that god was going to do through him as king of the nation of israel had to begin with him doing what was right Had to begin with what God had done in him. One of the greatest things that happened in my time as a student pastor was with a couple of girls that had come into our student ministry. Uh, I was a student pastor of a church in North Atlanta, and one of my responsibilities was to help our fifth graders transition into the student ministry. And so every year when we would do VBS over the summer, I would be the one to lead that VBS with our student ministry team. And so uh, we were preparing for that, and I was told at the last minute we had a volunteer, this girl that was going to come in and help us out with the fifth graders. Her name was Ashley. Ashley needed community service hours. And to be honest with you, in like a very poor pastoral moment, I was pretty frustrated that we were going to have to babysit Ashley um, during our VBS time when we were supposed to be focusing on our fifth graders. And so I did what anybody would do. I had one of my interns named Emily, and I said, you're going to babysit Ashley this entire week. Like, do whatever you can, invest in her, but just make sure she doesn't do anything crazy, and uh, that's your job for this week. And uh, Emily was a sweet, sweet girl. Uh, who did take that entire week and just pour it into Ashley's life? And at the end of that week, Ashley ended up surrendering her life to Jesus. She had no spiritual background. She had parents didn't go to church. Her parents didn't raise her with the things of the Lord. But she saw something in our church and in Emily's life, and she said, "That's what I've been missing, and that's what I need." She surrendered her life to Jesus. She went back to school as a senior in high school that fall and started a ministry of just writing letters to encourage people in her school she started reaching back uh, back and forth with a, a girl named Shreya Shreya came from a single mom household she was raised Hindu didn't really know anything about the church or Jesus but they started encouraging one another just by writing letters back and forth And they decided to get together for coffee and to talk about it and what Jesus had done in Ashley's life. And so Ashley spent three hours at Starbucks one day just explaining everything she knew, answering every question she could about Jesus, the Bible, church, God, all of it. And Ashley said, "Uh, this is all I know. And Straya said, I want to know more. She said, well, you need to come to church with me, and maybe my youth pastor or his wife can answer some questions for you. I said, okay. So she came to church the next Sunday. She sat down right after the service. She ended up surrendering her life to Jesus uh, with my wife as the service ended that day. She said one thing that, that blew my mind. She went to school that week, and some of her friends were asking, asking her, Hey, Shreya, like, why did you convert from Hinduism? Like, Why did you convert? And she said, I didn't convert from anything. I had nothing before, and now I have Jesus. She then went, started sharing the gospel with her brother Parth, and after a couple months, Parth ended up surrendering his life to Jesus, and then they both started sharing the gospel with their mom, Miss Bina, and Miss Bina, a couple months after that, surrendered her life to Jesus, and I had the opportunity to baptize all of them together. You see, you can change the spiritual legacy of your family. It doesn't matter what your mom did it doesn't matter what your dad did it doesn't matter what you've done in your past you can be the difference maker if you do what what is right if you seek the lord that you can be someone who not only makes a difference in your family's legacy but in the the legacies of other families as well you see that hezekiah didn't wait it says in the first month of the first year Hezekiah didn't put off his spiritual responsibility to lead his people that he was responsible for to worship God. And after generations of priests and spiritual leaders and people who knew what was the right thing to do, but they weren't doing it, Hezekiah came in and he just did it. He knew that the temple was supposed to be a place of worship. And he came in and he said, this is what we're going to do And we're going to do it now. And he led his people. I came across this stat recently that honestly, honestly just shocked me. It was a stat on how much time average Americans spend on household chores uh, now compared to in 1900. So they defined household chores as these three things preparing meals, laundry, and cleaning. They said in 1900, the average family spent 58 hours a week on those three things. In 2015, the average American family spent 15 and a half hours on those three things. You know, I've yet to meet a person who isn't busy. And I legitimately understand and I legitimately know that we are all busy people. But I've also found that without intentionality, we do not ever, ever, ever drift toward matters of spiritual significance. I haven't met a person who is really growing spiritually that didn't make the time to do it, that didn't prioritize it, and that was waiting for the right time or season of their life to take the things of the Lord seriously. We see that Hezekiah took spiritual responsibility. It says that he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. He viewed the gathering of the people of God first and foremost as his responsibility to do something about. He didn't delegate it to others. And we see that even before the spiritual leaders that he had gathered them together or they had had a conversation, that he is actively and personally repairing the temple. I just have this image in my mind of him walking around this once grand and glorious temple and just seeing it broken and dirty and dusty and seeing idols of other gods around it, smelling it seeing these doors falling over i don't know it doesn't say who he was with but i just i just imagine him and a friend or him and a couple people you know like just lifting up these doors and hearing them clank back into place i imagine him sweeping the floor and i just see him just feeling this knowing what it was that they were supposed to do and seeing that not be done and just getting Righteously angry Like we have to do this See you are the only person Who can accomplish what God has called You to do Secondly how can I make Worship with others a priority It involves removing Some distractions From your heart and life Today Verses 4 through 11 say that He brought in the priest and the Levites, assembled them in the square on the east side, and said, Listen to me, Levites. Consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all defilement from the sanctuary. Our parents were unfaithful. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they forsook Him. They turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place and turned their backs on Him. They also shut the doors of the portico and put out the lamps. They did not burn incense or present any burnt offerings at the sanctuary to God of Israel. Therefore, the anger of the Lord has fallen on Judah and Jerusalem. He has made them an object of dread and horror and scorn, as you can see with your own eyes. This is why our fathers have fallen by the sword and why our sons and daughters and our wives are in captivity. Now, I intend to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that his fierce anger will turn away from us. My sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before Him and serve Him, to minister before Him and burn incense. We see here that the temple is broken and cluttered. We see the priests aren't doing their job. The people had plenty of excuses. Can I just ask you a question this morning? I don't know anyone in this room has anything cluttered your heart or your schedule that's keeping you from engaging in worship with others you know last week Christian referenced the however in your life the many of us who feel like we're doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord however there's this one area of our life you know that churches have a unique identity that like church gatherings bodies of believers coming together all of us together that journey church international has an identity we see in revelation two and three jesus writes letters to some of the early churches through the apostle john and he gives them a challenge and out of those seven letters that he writes to some of the early churches, five of them, he says, you're doing all right, however you have this one area. Well, look at it here. In church at Ephesus, Revelation 2.4, he says, you're doing a lot really well, yet this I hold against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. The church at Pergamum, in 2.14, he says, you have persevered. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You're holding on to false teachings. The church at Thyatira, in Revelation 2, 19 and 20, says, you do a lot really good, but I have this against you. You tolerate sexual immorality. The church at Sardis, in uh, chapter 3, verse 1, he says, I know your deeds. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. The church at Laodicea, verse 15, he says, I know your deeds. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. Can I just ask you a question if... If Jesus were to write a letter to Journey Church based on your spiritual life, what would it say? In Chronicles, you see a generation that had turned their back on God. The priests had drifted and the people had drifted and they just kept drifting. You know the only remedy to a broken church is a better savior. Hezekiah did a lot of good for the the temple, for the nation, for the people, but ultimately, even he only brought a temporary revival for a nation that that needed a savior and that he pointed towards that Savior. You see, Jesus was the greater. Hezekiah. just as hezekiah would repair the broken temple physically jesus said he would repair the broken temple spiritually just as hezekiah would cleanse the temple to restore it to pure worship jesus would come again and cleanse the temple to restore it to pure worship just as hezekiah would restore the sacrifices to god in the temple jesus would be the true and ultimate sacrifice paid once for all just as Hezekiah would equip a new generation of consecrated priests, Jesus would create a royal priesthood and a holy nation, the church. See, Hezekiah was a great king, but he is just a picture of the ultimate king, who is Jesus. And you may be here today, and you may feel broken, you may feel dirty, you may feel inadequate, but in Christ, if you have Christ in you, you are the temple of the living God. That's what 1 Peter 2, 5 and 6 says. Peter says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. The beautiful picture here is God's design for His people to live in community. The spiritual house that God has built is one house full of many blemished, broken, dirty, but living stones not many one stone houses and that is the church we say uh, where I'm at uh, we say that it's it's family the church is not like family the church is family it's a family that bears one another's burdens it's a family that is friendly to one another It's a family that provides for each other. It's a family that welcomes others in. That is the church. So finally, how can I start to make worship with others a priority? It's this it involves participation. Verses 31, and then we'll look at 35 and 36. It says that then Hezekiah said, You have now dedicated yourselves to the Lord. Come and bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the temple of the Lord. So the assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings, and all whose hearts were willing brought burnt offerings. Verse 35 says, So the service of the temple of the Lord was reestablished. And then Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced at what God had brought about for his people because it was done so quickly. Many of these Israelites had never in their lives experienced true worship, had never experienced what it meant to worship God. They had gone an entire generation without knowing what that meant. And for many of them, this was a fresh and new experience with God. For many of them, it was was a new thing to bring all that they had to the temple. It was a new thing to let... The Levites or the priests or the spiritual leaders be involved in their preparation of their offerings. It was a new thing to come together with their friends and their neighbors and the people that they knew and go to the temple. But as they did, the outcome was a blessing and joy that they experienced God, they experienced worship in a fresh and new way. So, how should I participate in worship? Participate with a willing heart. You know, for some, for you to trust that God is at work and alive in you and in your life, instead of just coming and going through the motions, is a new experience. We should participate in worship with, with joy for some, maybe because of the past or because of your personality, to experience joy and not legalism in worship is a new experience. And can I just challenge you as you, as you gather together, as you're in your homes, as you're in your groups, to guard your heart from being critical toward the pastors or the people or this place that is Journey Church and it is the body of Christ. But then ultimately, we do it with commitment to others. True worship cannot be me focused. And when we lean into worship with others, we cannot help but want others to join in as well. It's what we see in the next chapter of 2 Chronicles, chapter 30. This Israel, this or the kingdom of Judah and Jerusalem, who had restored worship, they then go out and they invite everybody in the nation of Israel to come and to celebrate Passover here uh, in Jerusalem at this temple. They invited the whole nation to be a part of it. So part of my current job as I've been serving as the executive pastor at Northside Church and preparing to plant Hope Church, part of my current job has just been to help people get connected to the church. And I love it. I mean, that is one of my favorite things to do. Uh, oftentimes we joke about, oftentimes say, I think I have the spiritual gift of hanging out because I just, I just love to meet with people. I love to hear their stories. I love to help them meet people in the church and help them get plugged into groups. But oftentimes what we found is, I sit down and have conversations As people say, well, this is what we like in a church, or this is what we want in a church, or a lot of times, the conversation is like, we just really, we just really want to find community. And what we've said is this: that community is not found; it's built. It takes intentionality. It takes vulnerability. It takes prioritizing people. It means welcoming people into your home, caring for their needs, laughing with them, crying with them, helping them, challenging them, and speaking the truth into their lives, and doing all of those things with patience and love, and then doing it over the course of years. You see, that's the church, and that's how... Christian community is built. Theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in his book, Life Together, he said, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than the Christian community itself end up becoming destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. You see that Hezekiah did what was right in his own personal spiritual life, Hezekiah removed for the people and for himself what was dishonoring to God. And then Hezekiah brought all people to worship God together again. Which leads to why I'm here today. A couple years ago, Northside Church, served serve as the executive pastor, we sat down with our leadership team and our elders, and, and much like what Christian was saying there on that video— uh, we decided that we want to be a multiplying church, so we want to plant churches, that we want to reach other people through planting churches because we feel like that's the most effective and the best way to take the gospel to our area. So we came up with this vision statement. This is what, we, what our vision is as a church, that we long to become a multiplying church that brings the hope of the gospel to North Atlanta and beyond. And what we found as we shared that with our church as we started talking to people about it and as we started planning and preparing for this what we found is that many many people want to plant churches but almost nobody wants to plant a church and honestly that included me so we were sitting down at a table last May with our elder team we were talking about, how are we going to do this? We've been telling our church, we've been telling our people, this is what we want to do, this is our vision. We've been setting aside the resources to make it happen. Like, how are we going to do this? Do we need to try to hire a church planner? Do we need to try to keep just raising up somebody from within that can go do it? And we were, we were kind of nowhere. And one of our elders looked across the table at me, and he said, I don't know, Chris. And he said, you love to preach. You're passionate about preaching. You're a great leader in our church. Our people love you. You're committed to the area. Why don't you do it? And I looked at him and said, why don't you do it? Like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, I'm comfortable. I'm happy. Like, our church is growing. We've got people that we love. Like, my family's here. I don't know I'm going to pull my kids up and then some plant something and do Like, i got to go out and buy myself. I'm going to be out there. Like, why don't you do it? And I'll be honest, over the course of about three months, the Lord just just wrecked my heart. I remember exactly where I was sitting in my car, getting ready to turn on Highway 400, and I was thinking about it. And I just felt like the Lord just spoke into my spirit and said, "Chris, if you if you actually want to do something great for the kingdom, you have to at least be willing to do something hard for the kingdom." And I was thinking about it. I was like, "Well, man, why are you plan the church at? Like, I mean, I don't." where would we go? And I realized that the community that I actually live in right now, called Johns Creek, that my neighbors, the people that I interact with every single day, there's 85,000 people that live in a 31-square-mile plot of land. You see on this map, we're just north of Atlanta. You go up 400 right there and that area, 31 square miles, there's 85,000 people, and I just came to a realization, like, there's a need here, where I live, and I started looking, and I came to this, came to this realization as I was doing some research that there have not been a single church planted in over 20 years where I live, 20 years ago, the population of Johns Creek was 60,000 people, which means that we've had 25,000 more people move to where I live without a single new church. And when I realized that, I felt like the Lord just spoke to my heart and said, Chris, the harvest really is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And I sat down, we had a meeting with our leadership team, and I went back to them and they weren't really expecting anything, and I just said, I can't, I can't get it off my mind. I don't know that I'm the best guy. I don't know that I'm the most qualified guy, but I'm a guy, and I'll do it. And I said, I'm all in. I'm not looking for anything else. I'm not trying anything else. I'm all in, and we're planting a church. And after that conversation, the first person that I called was your pastor, Christian Newsom, And I'll never forget what he said. He said, Chris, we love you. He said, I'm really not surprised. That's awesome. But he said, we love you. He said, we're behind you. We'll help you. We'll support you. And I'll be honest, just to know that I had that from him and from you, I can't tell you the weight that those words lifted off my shoulder. And I just want you to know that your investment into Christian, your investment into this staff Is an investment into many pastors, many churches, many people all around the world. But it particularly is to me and to my family. And for that, I just want to say thank you. So, where do we stand today? Hope Church, Johns Creek. We say that we officially started last Sunday, and that was with five community groups. So, we have five groups that are meeting in Johns Creek on a weekly basis. We've had three Sunday night meetings, interest meetings for our people and for the community. We've got 75 people on our launch team, uh, which I'm really, really excited about. So 75 people that have committed and said, we're all in. And we're looking at starting Sunday morning services, August 2nd of 2020. And I would just ask that you be praying for us. I'll close with this. Your mission statement, as you've you've seen, is that Journey Church International exists to see people who are far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world. Which is very, very similar to our mission statement at Hope Church, which is that we exist, we are inviting everyday people to surrender their lives to Jesus and to share their lives with others. couple of months ago I was sitting at a Starbucks working on a sermon for a Sunday morning and I had a lady come sit down next to me her name was Miss Gloria. Miss Gloria started a conversation and over the course of about an hour we just started talking and I heard her family story and I heard about her kids and her grandkids and uh, she had some needs that I was able to pray for about and I just had the opportunity to ask her I said Miss Gloria do you have any spiritual beliefs I said, Chris, you know what? I'll be I'll be really honest with you. I haven't been that good at going to church in my life. I said, Miss Gloria, you know, that's okay. I said, at our church, you know, we say that we're inviting everyday people to surrender their lives to Jesus and to share their lives with others. And surrender means something different than just going to church. It means that you've given your entire heart, your entire life. Everything that you have to Jesus. And I said, and that's what makes the difference. And then out of that, you get to be a part of a local church that will help you grow closer to him. And I promise you, she said these words to me. She said, I sure wish I knew how to surrender my life to Jesus. And right there in that moment, I had the opportunity to lead her to a relationship with Christ. I tell you that story to tell you this, I think there are thousands of people in Johns Creek, just as there are thousands of people in Lee Summit, Missouri, who are waiting for someone to ask them if they've ever surrendered their life to Jesus and are ready to respond. And I feel like God has called me to take that message to them, to ask them the questions, because I think that God desires for them what he did in me and my life through the local church. And I desire that for each and every one of you as well. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for Journey Church, for Hope Church, for Northside Church. Lord, I pray that you would work, that you would move, that you would do only what you can do. Lord, we know that you are the ultimate king, that you are the ultimate savior. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, who hasn't experienced a relationship with you, hasn't surrendered their life to you, that today would be the day that they would do that. It's through you alone that life change happens. God, I pray that you would bless this church, this place, that they'd be gathered in unity, that they would continue to make a difference all around the world for your kingdom. And we love you in Jesus' name, amen.